512. Warning. Access restricted. Please submit to DNA. Verification. Processing. Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. Hello and welcome to the Monitor Room at the Christian Geek Central Podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of ChristianGeekCentral.com. I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage, and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live increasingly for Christ, experiencing the life-giving freedom and purpose he's made us for. For more info about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out SpiritBlade.com. On the show today, a review of Ant-Man and the Wasp, news about tons of Christian geek novels from the Christian Geek Radar, a request for feedback on our upcoming Patreon that I'm planning, and a continuing look at how the book of Proverbs can specifically help Christian geeks. Here we go. Okay. All right. This is... um. This is um, audio journal number five since the incident. I'm still pretty sure I've developed some kind of superpowers despite the negative results in the last four tests. Um, I'm going to give it another try today after a trip to the hardware store. This is invulnerability test number one. Healing Factor. This is Healing Factor test number one. Ant-Man and the Wasp. The synopsis on IMDb reads, In the aftermath of Captain America Civil War, Scott Lang grapples with the consequences of his choices as both a superhero and a father. As he struggles to rebalance his home life with his responsibilities as Ant-Man, he's confronted by Hope Van Dyne and Dr. Hank Pym, that's uh, Hope's father, with an urgent new mission. Scott must once again put on the suit and learn to fight alongside the Wasp as the team works together to uncover secrets from their past. It's no spoiler, I don't think, to say that the secrets specifically they're looking to uncover, they're trying to rescue um, Hank's... Did they get married? Did Hank Hank Pym and Janet... Well, they call her in the movie Janet Van Dyne. I thought they were married. Maybe not. Anyway, uh, Janet... Um, which I think I really want to say is Hank's wife, but it's definitely Hope's mother. They're looking to rescue her because she was lost in the quantum field like decades ago. She had to shrink down super small. This was talked about in the first Ant-Man movie, so you should know this. Uh, but she shrank down way too small because they were there was big trouble, and the only way to solve the problem and save a bunch of lives was her to shrink down to go into the quantum field. You know, and <laughs> I could get into a side issue about and. Scott Lang and the character even jokes about, you guys just put the word quantum in front of everything. There is a lot made about like quantum theory and what it can 
prove or not prove about the nature of the universe and all that kind of stuff. So people throw around that word a lot, um, but there are multiple quantum theories, and so you have to even like ask, okay, well, which theory are you talking about? Because there are like I don't know how many, maybe close to a dozen or something <laughs> more. I'm not sure, but anyway, a lot of people throw quantum theory at things to uh, to make it sound smart and scientific and scientifically established. But anyway, so they definitely have fun. Um, with the word quantum in this movie, but uh, it, basically they're using it to talk about being super duper duper super subatomic small. Um, so anyway, the the mission in this movie is to is to see if they can rescue um, the original Wasp, you know, who was lost decades ago in the quantum field. Um, the let's talk about the story and the script and the pacing a little bit. If there's a spectrum of like. The, the like the 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 amount of seriousness or humor in a Marvel movie, you know, uh, and you've got like Iron Man way over on your if you spread out your 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 arms and in and the tippy of your uh, left hand finger, you've got Iron Man one and maybe Captain America Winter Soldier as being ones that like. Uh, had humor in them, but also had gravity, you know, and were allowed to really sit in the gravity and weight of some dramatic moments, you know, uh, for, uh, you know, minutes at a time. You know, I think of the uh, the death of uh, the, the man who was with Tony Stark in the POW camp, um, in if, if that's what it was, uh, at the beginning of the original Iron Man and stuff. And that was a formative moment that was allowed to have weight. Uh, and of course, Captain America Winter Soldier, there was just a lot more seriousness, e- even if not maybe necessarily heaviness, but a lot more seriousness. So that's way down on that left, the tip of your left finger, you know, stretched out on that side of your body. Then stretch out your right arm. And I would say the furthest we've gone out on the right uh, limb would be Thor Ragnarok, where it's like, this is almost the tick. This is almost a spoof of superheroes. It's humor to the point where it's making the quote-unquote heroes actually incapable uh and uh it just yeah it's so it's it's like straight almost straight comedy um so this i would put just shy of thor ragnarok actually it uh this is pretty much a straight action comedy um not my kind of comedy for sure though it did get two to three chuckles out of me which is something for me in marvel movies i'm long past you know being disappointed or frustrated with how little i enjoy most marvel movies um the recent exceptions which i think i've mentioned before have been uh avengers in infinity war which was allowed to have some weight black panther which I uh, didn't have, I would say, maybe the same weight as Infinity War, but like Winter Soldier, I, I, I felt like it stayed serious for longer stretches of time. Um, and uh, and I liked Spider-Man Homecoming, but not because it was more serious. Uh, I actually think it had a lot of humor in it, but uh, it was humor that grew more naturally, I felt, out of who the characters were. So rather than, you know, feeling kind of forced. So, but anyway, I'm, I'm long past, you know, feeling disappointed or frustrated with the Marvel movies. I mean, these days I'm most interested in them when I sit down to watch one. Um... I'm most interested from, a, I guess what I would say, a detached business standpoint. Like this, I, I enjoy them kind of on a meta level now, <laughs> you know, because I'm watching a movie. I'm thinking, huh, what is their strategy overall with the Marvel movies? Because it does seem to be 
changing or in a state of flux because, uh, like I said, um, Spider-Man: Homecoming. Um, well, that, that's an anomaly. Let's take that. Let's take that out of the picture. But Black Panther and Infinity War do seem to be going more heavy. I can imagine different reasons for both of those being the case. So they're not necessarily representing a new trend. They may just be, you know, individual things going on in those movies that would not be typical of other Marvel movies. So um, apart from those, there, there does seem to be. Uh, a, a gradual shift moving more towards comedy. Um, towards comedy, not just as tension relief, but at the expense of even presenting tension. I think for a while it was, they would have a little bit of tension, just to, you know, which would get uh, less and less prolonged before, boom, it's interrupted by, you know, a joke or a gag of some kind. And really what I felt with Ragnarok and with this movie was we were moving to comedy not just as tension relief, but actually at the expense of presenting tension to begin with. Um... Though I do have to say with this movie in particular, the lack of tension I felt might also have been due to the script, uh, which took regular detours from the plot to play out these kind of comedic dialogue bits, almost like really, really short interrupting comedy sketches would be how I would describe them. And this tendency made a lot more sense to me production-wise when the end credits attached not one, not two, but five writers to the script. So the uh, the scattered feeling nature I felt in the plot and the individual scenes may just be, you know, a, a symptom of way too many cooks in the kitchen. That's what I think was probably going on. The main quote-unquote villain in this movie isn't really a villain, um, which I think that's an interesting change of pace because I think uh, even those who really love Marvel movies, uh, many of them would agree that the... The villains have been the weak points. They don't. They're they're not really developed or interesting characters. You know, in terms of their motivations and stuff like that. And so, I think doing something different was a step in the right direction with this one. And we've seen some. Uh, I think Black Panther had a better villain. Um, I can't remember what I thought of Thanos, but uh, anyway, you know, I thought doing something different uh, with the villain in this one was good. But it's still. Uh, I don't think it was as good as the the villain of Black Panther. This this villain, quote-unquote, was really uh, someone in a tragic situation taking a dark path. So, uh, you know, a villain that had, you know, kind of like a Magneto or like a uh, Parallax or something like that, you know. Um, and, but then you add to this, quote-unquote, villain three other antagonists in the story. There's an FBI agent, there's a black market dealer, and then there's one antagonist that I won't spoil. Um so with so many in the mix, they really, all of them, kind of became watered down as sources of antagonism to the heroes in this movie. In truth, I think they could have all been deleted, and the core story would be intact, and it would still be a good one. This really, this movie isn't really a fight between good and evil at its core, but it's an adventure story um, about Ant-Man and the Wasp trying to find and rescue the Wasp's mom from the quantum field she was lost in decades before. And even though there's a huge lack of psychological realism in that story, I mean, no one's concerned that her mom will come out this babbling lunatic after being in this incomprehensible shrunken state for three decades, you know. Um, there's no concern about that. <laughs> but even so, it was still um, 
it was still the central reason for me to be invested. That rescue mission was the central reason for me to be invested in the story. Uh, without the added complexity of so many side antagonists, I think they could have given so much more time to that story and made it much more powerful and rewarding for me. As far as the cast uh, goes, Paul Rudd is back as Scott, whatever his last name is, uh, Ant-Man, and uh, his jokes felt a little more natural and Paul Rudd-like, uh, a little more often to me this time around. I'm not sure if he was one of the writers of the first movie, but he is credited as one of the writers in this movie, so maybe that's the reason for that. Michael Douglas is back as Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man. He does a solid job, but it, I was, it was interesting. I detected some slurring in his speech that made me wonder if maybe his age will prevent him from doing another Ant-Man movie after this one. Um, I, I, it'll just be interesting to see. Um, but hopefully he's, uh, his health is doing well. The standouts for me, though, in the, in the uh, cast were Evangeline Lilly, who plays uh, the daughter of the original Ant-Man and Wasp. Um, and Michelle Pfeiffer, who plays her mother in, I believe, her first appearance in a superhero movie since playing Catwoman in Batman Returns. These two actresses brought the heart and drama that I really needed to be invested at, at all. Uh, they were all two brief moments for me, but I was surprised at how effective both were in those brief moments in making me, like, suddenly care and really feel something for just a few seconds. So that was really welcome. Um, as far as the stunts and visuals go, uh, there was some neat stuff in this. It's, it's not neat in terms of, like, groundbreaking and looking realistic, but um, just in terms of the visual gags. You know, despite my big disconnect from nearly the entire script, the visual gags were fun to see. I mean, whether in action scenes or as incidental background details, the creative use of both the shrinking and enlarging abilities showcased how really wide the applications are for what seemed like a couple of really simple powers. You know, very cool stuff. I always love seeing that happen. I remember when Mark Wade took over writing for The Flash in uh, somewhere in the, the 90s and created, along with, I think, someone else, someone else being involved in the process, creating the idea of the speed force and just taking this idea idea of, hey, he's a guy who can go fast, and then applying physics to it, and just seeing all the kinds of weird, crazy stuff you could pull off with a simple power like moving really fast, you know? And I feel like they're, they've been going into that territory with these Ant-Man movies, um, and, uh, and really playing around with pseudoscience in order to uh, expand the application of these powers. And so I, that's really cool. I love seeing creative use of what seem like, uh, the, at the outset, very simple power sets in superheroes. Um, as far as like relevance, you know, is there anything of moral, philosophical, or spiritual significance going on in the themes here that might stimulate worthwhile thought or conversation? Um, I don't know. I'm going to spend more time talking about this first one than, than I should, just because it takes some explaining. But really, it was, of the two things I'm going to mention, just a little blip on my radar. And that blip on my radar was when an antagonistic goody-two-shoes FBI agent who we are clearly supposed to find annoying and troublesome to the hero throughout the movie also identified himself as a youth pastor. Uh, it felt like, like if I were to take a guess, I'm guessing it was kind of a thoughtless joke that made no, I mean, it made no logical sense in the context. I mean, I don't know what FBI agent is going to have time to be a youth pastor. Um, it almost felt like an improvised line that they're like, oh yeah, that's good. Let's keep that in the cut, you know, or whatever. Um, it, it, and, in, and in a lot of ways, it just felt like one more symptom of what seemed like a messy writing process to me. I wasn't offended by it. I don't need, you know, representation of any demographic I happen to be a part of in 
my fiction. I think we are prioritizing the wrong sources if we're expecting or hoping for self-affirmation in our entertainment. But it, it just reminded me of the status quo in, in the push for representation in entertainment. You know, how many examples can I come up with uh, of a supporting character in mainstream entertainment who is a Bible-believing Christian and not also a hypocrite or just some kind of antagonist in the plot, you know, uh, with all the kind of like focus on representation and seeing growth in those areas, which is not anything that I'm opposed to. I just find it interesting that when it comes to that kind of Christian character in movies, I am coming up with nothing. Um, I don't expect that to change. Just making an observation. But by contrast, and I'm going to spend less time talking about this, but it was the, the much stronger impression I was left with thematically from the movie. I really loved that in this flick, um, family was given value. Family was given attention. Um, family relationships in terms of moms and dads and their relationships, relationships with their kids, both uh, in childhood and as adults, parent-child relationships. There were, some, there were some brief romantic sparks between Ant-Man and the Wasp, but it, it wasn't the focus. A lot more relational moments were given to parents and kids, whether it was Scott's relationship with his daughter or um, uh, Evangeline Lilly, I can't remember her character's name, her relationship with her uh, dad and her, and her mom. Um, so it was really cool to see that strand of human relationship uh, momentarily override the shallow, oversexed subplots that are much more common in, uh, in entertainment. And I think there's a ton of potential for them to take the theme of family even further in the next Ant-Man movie, if there is one. And I hope that there is. Uh, now, I have no idea what your taste in movies are, but if I were a time traveler, I would go back and time and say Peter skip 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 skippity skip um it doesn't follow the trend of Spider-Man Homecoming whose humor felt more naturally character driven to you um or the trend of Black Panther and Infinity War which were allowed to have some dramatic weight um it's not the near spoof that Thor Ragnarok was but still pretty close on the spectrum not your kind of movie. For a superhero comedy that will actually function for you as a comedy, go rewatch the Amazon Prime seasons of The Tick. All right, rated PG-13 for some sci-fi action and violence. That's all I've got to say about it. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POSTOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Scanning for Christian Geeks. Subject located. Verifying status. Christian Geek status verified. Begin data transmission. Time to give you your Christian Geek radar. Covering the months of both May and June. I was extra busy uh, recently, and so I missed a month, but I'm going to get you caught up on uh, some of the highlights, at least, for me as I was kind of looking through what came out uh, in the world of Christian geekery online, um, what kinds of announcements and events, and mostly releases is usually what I focus on with the Christian Geek radar. So, And this might be all books this time. Uh, there's just a ton that went on that I... Man, it was the... <laughs> 
wrong time of year for me to uh, to miss a month. So anyway, I'm going to recommend where you can get more information than just what I'm sharing here at the end. Um, but for now, let me just uh, uh, highlight some of the ones that kind of floated to the top out of the avalanche of, uh, of, of news in the world of Christian geek novels. Uh, the first one is by author J.R. Castle. The book is titled Blood and Water, The Lionheart Province, and this is the Chronicles of Alburnium, Book One. The description reads, Cardia's father taught her that with a little bit of hope, nothing was impossible. So Cardia held on to the hope that someday her family would have full bellies again. She dared to hope that one day her old friends would start being kind to one another. And more than anything, she hoped that eventually her beloved town would find a way to revive itself before the new regent of their province came to visit. Because as it was, her family had to forage for scraps to survive. Her friends treat each other as enemies, and if the regent arrived to find Goya in its current state, he would end up casting everyone out of their homes and off his land. Then it happened. Her hope was finally to be rewarded. A visitor came to town with a strange request. Dada traded a portion of his land to a man covered with tattoos in return for a vast amount of gold coins. With their new riches, her family had plenty to eat and a fine home to live in, and her beloved Goya began to thrive once again. One problem. The contract stated that the sorcerer got everything that was on the traded parcel of land at the time of the transaction, which included Cardia. The crafty sorcerer was after Cardia and her Sano healing powers all along. Cardia must find a way out of the contract before the allotted time is up, or their good fortunes and answered wishes will end up costing the townspeople of Goya their freedom and Cardia her life. So again, that is Blood and Water by J.R. Castle. Next up, a familiar name to many of you maybe, Ted Decker released the 49th Mystic, which uh, has a connection to his Circle series, but from what I understand, it's not necessary to have read the Circle series. Uh, but if you do, you'll maybe get a little bit uh, of another layer out of this one. Let's look at the description here. Uh, it says, Welcome to a wild new journey of discovery set in the worlds of the Circle, Black, Red, White, Green. Those are the, name of the names of the books in that series if you're not familiar with them. It doesn't require reading those books, but will add layers of meaning for those who have. It all begins with the 49th Mystic, a wild quest story that will draw you in and refuse to let you go. Some say the great mystery of how one can live in two worlds at once died with Thomas Hunter many years ago. Still others that the gateway to that greater reality was and is only the stuff of dreams. They are wrong. In the small town of Eden, Utah, a blind girl named Rachel Matthews is about to find out just how wrong. When a procedure meant to restore Rachel's sight goes awry, she begins to dream of another world, so real that she wonders if Earth might only be a dream experienced when she falls asleep in that reality. Who is a simple blind girl to have such strange and fantastic dreams? She's the prophesied one who must find and recover five ancient seals in both worlds before powerful enemies destroy her. If Rachel succeeds in her quest, peace will reign. If she fails, both worlds will forever be locked in darkness. So it begins a two-volume saga of high stakes and a mind-bending quest to find an ancient path that will save humanity. The clock is ticking. The end rushes forward. So again, that's the 49th Mystic by a New York Times best-selling author, Ted Decker. 
Next up, uh, J.S. Earls, who I've interviewed on the, uh, well, at the time it was called the, the Spirit Blade Underground podcast. Uh, but J.S. Earls uh, wrote, or actually he adapted the, uh, the graphic novel for the upcoming movie, Meg, about the giant Megadalon. Me- is that what the word for it is? Meg- Megadalon or Megalodon? <laughs> I don't know. Giant, super huge shark. Prehistoric shark. Uh, and so this is the uh, the graphic novel adaptation of, of that screenplay. And the description reads, A beautifully illustrated graphic novel based on New York Times best-selling author Steve Alton's novel and soon to be a major motion picture directed by John Turtletaub and starring Jason Statham as Jonas Taylor. Once a Navy deep-sea submersible pilot, now a marine paleontologist, Dr. Jonas Taylor is convinced that a remnant population of car... Carcharodon megalodon, prehistoric sharks growing up to 70 feet long that subsisted on whales, lurks at the bottom of the Mariana Trench. When offered the opportunity to return to those crushing depths in search of the Meg, Taylor leaps at the chance. But the quest for scientific knowledge and personal vindication becomes a desperate fight for survival when the most vicious predator that the Earth has ever known is freed to once again hunt the surface. This graphic novel is illustrated by superstar artist Mike S. Miller, artist of George R.R. R. Martin's Game of Thrones prequel The Hedge Knight graphic novel and the number one best-selling digital comics series DC Comics Injustice. All right, so that is Meg. Uh, which has been adapted to graphic novel by J.S. Earls, uh, Christian author J.S. Earls. Um, uh, that's why. That's why I keep saying J.S. Earls. If you're like, why does he keep talking about J.S. Earls? <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see here. Stephen R. Lawhead released in the. Let's see. In the region. Wait. How does what's this in the region of the summer star? Is it okay in the region of the? Okay, I got it. The, the layout on the uh, on the cover was throwing me for a little bit. Uh, anyway, in the region of the summer stars, Stephen R. Lawhead. The description reads: Ravaged by barbarian Skalda forces, Erlandia's warring tribes must find a way to resist their common enemy. Wrongly cast out of his tribe, Connor embarks on a dangerous quest to prove his innocence and to save his people. What he discovers about the Skalda threatens the fractitious, the fractious, the fractious people of Erlandia, and the Fae who inhabit their islands as well. That if the fairies perish, then Erlandia truly will be destroyed. Uh, Stephen R. Lawhead has a long history in the world of Christian uh, sci-fi or fantasy fiction. I remember all the way back in uh, junior high. I want to say like late '80s, early '90s was when I, was when I read his uh, Dragon King trilogy, which surprised me at the time with some of the graphic violence. And it was like, what? This is a Christian author? What in the world? You know? So, uh, and he, I would say he's probably most well known for his kind of fantasy type stuff, or uh, he's written like Avalon uh, oriented type of fantasy as well. And uh, so anyway, um, yeah, he's definitely been around for a long time. If you've never checked out Stephen R. Lawhead stuff and you want to kind of get a primer on the history of a Christian fantasy specifically than uh, or modern Christian fantasy I should say uh, then uh, that's a name definitely worth checking out and again the the name of that most recent release from Stephen R. Lawhead in the region of the summer stars next up uh, an author that may not be as familiar to you Annie Douglas Lima 
and uh, her book Heart Song. The description reads, two alien worlds, one teen emissary, no reality she can trust. 13-year-old Liz Smith has been ripped away from one foster family after another for years. So the idea of a permanent home is tantalizing. Who cares if that home is a colony 65,000 light years from Earth? The friends and her trusty e-reader will keep her company just fine on her interstellar relocation. But when the adventure of a lifetime turns into the disaster of the cosmos, Liz can only retreat so far into the books that have always sheltered her from loneliness and loss. Trapped in half-truths and secrets that leave her questioning reality, can one orphaned bookworm find a way to stop two races from destroying each other and somehow write a happy ending to her own story? If you like books about space travel, aliens, or cross-cultural transitions, you'll love this poignant science fiction adventure. Uh, again, that's Heart Song by Annie Douglas Lima. Uh, and then also, if uh, you, you haven't heard about this before now, the first issue of Lorehaven, a, a free PDF magazine specifically for Christian fans, uh, or I should say fans of uh, Christian sci-fi and fantasy, or maybe just Christian, you know, Christian geeks in general um has been released and uh, the the topic the articles include why jesus people need christian fantastical stories um and then there's some flash reviews they're starting a, a book club uh let's see what else um the, oh there's an article the magic is real james l rubart's stories explore a christian's fantastic and redeemed identity in jesus and then full disclosure i've contributed uh, some writing to this as well there's a, a, a recurring article say or recurring segment called fan servants and the uh title of this uh go around is christian geeks rejoice in your strange gifts um where i contributed to talking about uh, just feeling like an alien a little bit in the local christian church and how we can and should still rejoice in how God has made us, even if we do, if we feel like, oh, I don't fit in, you know, I'm not gifted in the same way as this other person is, you know. Uh, so anyway, I, I really enjoyed uh, sharing some thoughts on that. Um, and then also some thoughts about what if your kids don't read fantasy? Marion Jacobs writes an article in, uh, the, uh, in the, 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 what do you call that? The, not the byline, the, the little catchy in bold thing that they put at the top. I should have been much more prepared for this. Anyway, uh, at the top, it reads, entertainment is too shallow a word for the blessings fantasy can bring to our hearts. So, uh, anyway, this is a, this is a free, uh, resource for Christian fans of sci-fi and fantasy. So, uh, I want to recommend that you check out Lorehaven at lorehaven.com. All right, finally, um, Jill Williamson released King's War, which is book three in the Kingsman Chronicles. The description reads, One battle is over, but the war has just begun. Those who escaped the destruction of the five realms have found a home, but they still cannot find peace. The aftermath of the Battle of Sirakar should have been a time to mourn those lost in the slaughter. The enemies of Armania are many, however, and just when one steps back to regroup, another presses forward in an attack. While the remaining remnant must take responsibility for the evil they brought to Eretz, it would seem that something just as dark already existed in this new world. The growing struggle between Armania and Barthel Ragadoth is but a pale reflection of a far more dangerous battle for the souls of humanity. And so begins this awe-inspiring conclusion to Jill Williamson's Kinsman Chronicles. Uh, anyway, you can get more um, if you go over to jillwilliamson.com. Again, 
the book King's War, uh, book three of the King, the Kinsman Chronicles. There was so much, my gosh, you guys, in the last two months that came out, that was announced in the world of uh, Christian geek novels. So I want to recommend that you go over and visit the YouTube channel of Adam Collings. Uh, he is one of the primary uh, resources that I check to see kind of what the latest releases are and stuff like that. He also covers announcements and stuff. I tend to just... Uh, covering uh the like kind of like a things that's that I've just released that you can go and get now but but he'll cover like some some interesting announcements and news and stuff as well in the world of Christian geek publishing uh, as well as a bunch of releases that I just did not uh really have time to uh, to cover here so uh again if you go over to uh to youtube.com and then uh, look up Adam Collings you can get just some great uh, video resources on the the, the world of uh, Christian geek publishing Data collection complete. Activating news in net 1.0. This week at spiritblade.com. Just a reminder, our summer sale is still running where you can get any or all parts of the Spiritblade audio drama trilogy for 20% off. Uh, more details at spiritblade.com. At youtube.com slash christiangeekcentral, uh, I've put up my video on why geeks need wisdom. That's just the video version of what we covered last week here on the podcast uh, in our look at Proverbs. And then also the video for the Christian Geek Radar has gone up where I talk about tons of Christian geek novels. You can also see like what the book covers look like if you watch that video. Um, then on, uh, well, Thursday, same day, I guess, is the Christian Geek Radar thing. Um, I put up Gender Roles and Having Fun in the Wildlands, which is just another one of those hour-long, roughly, slices of the last live stream that I did where the topic of gender roles came up, and then I just had a whole bunch of fun <laughs> really uh, stinking at, uh, what's, what should we call it? What did I just say? It's called Ghost Recon Wildlands, um, which is, uh, my that was my favorite game of 2017 which really surprises me still to say uh i'm still having a ton of fun with that so anyway and i really enjoyed having you guys hang out with me while i had fun with that so you can see that uh, that slice of the last live stream uh on the youtube channel and then uh lastly you should be able to find my ant-man and the wasp uncut video review at youtube.com slash christian geek central while you're there if you'd be willing to like share subscribe and hit that notification bell so you don't miss another video uh, those are ways to keep you in touch with the video content and also help to grow our community uh, through the uh, through the youtube channel uh let's see here at youtube.com slash spirit spirit blade videos uh, i've put up a video newsletter as well as a kind of like just a, some info and a feedback request regarding the Patreon campaign for Spirit Blade Productions and Christian Geek Central that I'm going to be starting in August. In fact, um, you can go there and check that out, but right now I'm going to just kind of wrap up this update segment by giving you the audio from most of that newsletter video so you can be up to date and have the chance to give me your feedback on what I'm planning for August. So take it away, Pater! Hey guys, Peter Franson here from ChristianGeekCentral.com and Spirit Blade Productions here with your video newsletter uh, covering the events of June 2018. Um, and this was a month that 
had a lot going on in far, as far as Christian Geek Central was concerned. A lot of like uh, like E three, the big video game event that lasts for a week, uh, totally consumed me for the first part of the month. And then I was playing a little bit of catch up for the second half of the month after that. And then toward the like the last week or so, I was able to start finally giving time to prep for the Patreon campaign that's coming up in August. Uh, for those not familiar, I am still going to present like a proper video that gives a full explanation of what Patreon is. But basically, uh, Patreon is a platform that allows creative artists of all kinds of, you know, of shapes and forms, creating music or YouTube videos or comic books or anything, these kind of like grassroots uh, artists that are creating content of some kind, it allows them to uh, involve their community with them financially. In other words, it allows basically people to donate on a regular basis to support their efforts. And along with those donations, which can be at various tiers of financial support per month, come various tiers of rewards that are kind of in proportion to what those uh, donations are each month. And each person that has that runs a Patreon uh, account can decide what their own rewards are, and then they distribute those month to month. And so uh, a key part of having a good Patreon campaign is having rewards that are fun and interesting and that serve as good incentives for the community that's potentially interested in supporting you. And so uh, I wanted to share with you guys what I'm thinking right now for the Spirit Blade Productions uh, Patreon campaign. I have listed here in this document actually says Christian Geek Central. That's actually, I need to change that. <laughs> <laughs> so that it reads uh, Spirit Blade Productions. Um, Spirit Blade Productions and Christian Geek Central are kind of like two sides of the same coin. Spirit Blade Productions is the parent company. It's a small LLC that I've been running since 2000, uh, 2006. And then to create kind of a community face for Spirit Blade Productions, I launched Christian Geek Central, you know, I don't know, a handful of years ago, I want to say. Uh, and so that's kind of been the more co community-oriented uh, face of Spirit Blade Productions. And so, but but it is going to be a Patreon page for, it'll be called a Spirit Blade Productions, you know, pay the Patreon page for Spirit Blade Productions, but I'll make it clear that, you know, basically Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions are one and the same. They share the same pot of resources, both financially and in terms of hardware. This microphone and my uh, camera and my mixing software, all that stuff. I use it for both my audio production work and Christian Geek Central. So uh, supporting one is supporting the other. Uh, but anyway... So I wanted to share with you guys what I'm thinking of as my um, for my reward tiers and and get your feedback on it. I'm going to be launching this Patreon campaign uh, in August. I don't want to give an exact date yet, but that's what I'm looking at is is probably middle of August. Uh, and so this is what I'm thinking. For those who support me at one dollar a month, they'll get access to the exclusive monthly Pater's Brain podcast, uh, which candidly chronicles my ups and downs running Spirit Blade Productions and Christian Geek Central through a series of recorded journal entries and occasional work samples of what I'm working on. Uh, this is kind of a, based on what I currently have running for what's what I call the Spirit Blade Insider Program. Uh, and so those that are supporting me as a part of that program, they get these audio uh, this audio podcast from me every month that's that is made up of journal entries that I'm recording throughout the month talking about the crazy experience that it is for me 
to be spinning all these plates, wearing all these different types of hats, trying to be knowledgeable and capable in so many different things that I am not naturally capable in at all. Uh, and so that means a lot of dramatic ups and downs behind the scenes that the average person that's just taking in my content at Christian Geek Central or who listens to a few of my audio dramas has no idea what's going on behind the scenes. There are moments that I am so excited and celebrating and excited about what God is allowing me to be a part of uh, in, in this ministry and this work. And then there are plenty of days where I'm like, this sucks and I'm having a really hard time. I feel like giving up. Um, maybe this is the time I should give up. You know, and I, you know, I mean, there's so many ups and downs. You know, it's a crazy roller coaster ride. And so the Pater's Brain podcast is where I share all of that with those that uh, are kind of in the trenches with me by their financial support on a monthly basis. So uh, at just $1 a month, uh, people would get access to this exclusive audio podcast. Um, and then also everyone that's uh, supporting me at at least $1 a month gets an influential voice as I make decisions for Spirit Play Productions and Christian Geek Central. Uh, not a vote per se, but these are going to be the first people that I want to hear from and you know want to get feedback from in terms of the kinds of things they would like to see uh, more of or less of or different that aren't you know around uh, yet for both of my audio production work at Spirit Play Productions and the content I'm rolling out on YouTube and elsewhere for Christian Geek Central. Um, so that's the one dollar tier. Uh, the $5 tier would uh, get you all of the $1 tier rewards plus exclusive access to the video version of the Pater's Brain podcast. Because actually, as I'm recording these journal entries, I'm doing it with my phone, uh, recording video of myself. Um, and so there's a complete video version of this that will be going out as well that I've already been kind of testing with the uh, the current Spirit Blade insiders. Um, and if you're wondering where the, what's going to happen with that program, by the way, I am not going to force any that's part of the Spirit Blade Insider program to trans, trans, transfer over to be, uh, being a patron, um, but there will be some great benefits for those that decide to do that. So I'm hoping that all of them will decide to, uh, to carry over. Um, but anyway, uh, so at the $5 tier, you get all the $1 tier rewards plus access to the uh, video version of my Pater's Brain podcast and access to a monthly two-hour private live stream, um, which is going to be me sitting and playing a video game or me just sitting in front of my webcam and just kind of chatting with whoever shows up for that. Uh, it's, it'll, uh, it'll be much more uh, unprogrammed, laid back, uh, and just kind of <laughs> relaxed and messy compared to the live streams that I do you know, every two or three months, which are more programmed. I have a schedule of games that I you know, go through throughout that six-hour live stream or whatever. This would be less about me trying to create some programmed entertainment for uh, the viewer and more about me just inviting the viewer to just kind of enter into my cool down time at the end of a night once a month where I'm just like hey boy that was a long day of work I'm ready to fire up a video game and just blah 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 and talk about whatever comes in my mind hear about what your week has been like and you know and what's going on in your life and uh, and so it would just be a very kind of chill relaxed a, a smaller more intimate setting for uh, for me to be able to connect uh, via a, a live chat and, and me being on, on camera with uh, those that are uh, supporting me at this tier and then also along with that on no particular regular scheduled basis uh, 
there would be uh, occasional invites to other private hangouts and uh, live streams. Usually about, I want to say, once or twice a year, I've ended up having a uh, exclusive kind of Google Hangout type thing with uh, those that have been Spirit Blade insiders. So there might be something along those lines that would be available for those that are supporting at this tier. Uh, again, I'm very vague about that because I don't know what the scheduling is going to be. The main things would be access to the video version of that Peter's Brain podcast and then access to that monthly two-hour private uh, live stream that I'll be doing. Um, at the $10 tier, you get all the rewards of the $5 tier and, of course, the $1 tier. Plus, your name will be included in a crazy monthly thank you song on the podcast and the YouTube channel, which I'll put out once a month, probably after like a, a movie review or something like that. Uh, your name will be included in the lyrics of this song <laughs> on the month that you uh, support me at the at the $10 tier. And then at the $15 tier, you get all the rewards from the tiers below $15 plus access to the entire Spirit Blade Productions audio catalog, which is going to include the Spirit Blade trilogy, all the song bundles, and uh, the Storyteller series as that is being rolled out. Um, and then while at this tier, you'll also get a physical postcard with, hand, with a handwritten message from me, um, which would be sent after the first of the month in which you're charged. So anyway, uh, that's uh, that's there for those that would be interested in that. Um, what's what's left? Oh yeah, the last one, uh, the twenty-five dollar tier. You get all the rewards from the fifteen dollar tier and uh, below that. Plus, I will live stream a video game of your choice from my collection, which you can feel free to choose one that I hate or am scared by. I keep plenty of those in my library at all times. Um, and I'll do that for 30 minutes while having a bizarre one-sided <laughs> conversation with you um, by name. And uh, you can also submit suggested questions or topics for me to respond to during the stream. Uh, and that's going to be fulfilled during that monthly private stream for those that are... Uh, supporting me at the $5 tier or uh, uh, or, or higher. Um, and then that will be probably uploaded later to YouTube, either in full or as kind of an edited highlights video, I'm not sure. That's limited to just four patrons per month that will be able to uh, support me at that tier. So uh, anyway, I do have some ideas for a couple of tiers above and beyond the $25 tier, but I'm thinking of starting with just this many uh, and seeing kind of what happens, seeing if there's demand for higher tiers with more special and more exclusive kinds of rewards. I definitely have some ideas that I'm chomping at the bit to talk about, but uh, let's just see how these go. And even these are totally open to uh, to to change based on feedback that I hear from you guys. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this. And by the way, giving me your opinion on these does not mean like if you say, hey, that $15 tier thing sounds great. That doesn't mean I'm assuming that you're going to be supporting me at the $15 tier or whatever. And, uh, and also, I imagine some of these tiers, uh, people will maybe choose to uh, just support me for just one month at that level. And then maybe normally just hang out at the $5 a month tier or the $1 a month tier or something like that. So uh, anyway, I'd love to get your feedback. None of this is set in stone. Um, I imagine it will be shaped a little bit before the actual launch of the Patreon campaign. And then even after the campaign starts, it's a totally normal thing for uh, the rewards to change and shift throughout the course of the campaign uh, as the person running the campaign gets feedback and stuff. So anyway, but I wanted to start that feedback process right now before I even launch the campaign. So if you want to take a look at these, let me know what you think. I would uh, really appreciate your feedback. Uh, that's it. I'm, I'm planning on spending the rest of this month continuing to get the ball rolling, getting things ready. There's a lot of 
behind-the-scenes stuff that needs to happen, that needs to be thought about very carefully uh, as I figure out how I want to present all of this when I kick off the Patreon campaign as I'm planning to next month. So uh, stay tuned for that, and I'd love to get your feedback in the meantime. Thanks a lot. The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Lots of things are possible, but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert, but the information is out there. You'd be amazed what you can learn if you spend some time in search of truth. The truth will set you free. Well, right now we're going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of the churchy language that we so easily take for granted, digging into history and languages as we're able to try and get at the heart of the text so we can hopefully see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. We're not formally trained in Scripture, just a couple guys using resources and questioning minds to try and get at the truth. That's something we can all do, so we hope that you'll do that with us. Um, John Wilkerson from the Christian Geek Central community has been joining me for a conversational series looking at the book of Proverbs. We're still in chapter one, and so I'll just leave it at that and drop in the next part of our conversation right here. Um, all right, let's let's move on to 8 through 19 if you're ready to do that. Um, sure. All right, in the ESV, 8 through 19 of chapter one says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. All right, any, what, are your, what are your reactions to that? Wow, so, so we get into this, this poetic, narrative, uh, cautionary tale. Uh, uh, a, a um, you know, if if this were in the in the New Testament, it would be a parable, really, is what it would be. But I let's start with, you know, verse eight. Here, my son, a little quick bit of information. Solomon, as far as we know in the Bible, only had one son. Mm. All those wives he had, <laughs> and he had one son. Okay, so this is so. So, so you you, you got to think about who he's who is he who he's writing this to. We we know who he is. He's writing it to Absalom, and we know what his fate was eventually. And so that 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 kind of can can shed a little light when you're when you're looking at this and and you look in, in light of that, of when he's giving this instruction. And you and and you realize what Absalom's mistakes were. Here's Solomon noticing in his son certain patterns in his life that are going to lead him to sin. Mm. And so here's Solomon giving him this warning, saying, heed my words, heed my instruction, listen to your mother's teaching, because it, we we see this character trait in you, and it's going to lead you to trouble. And I think, 
there, there's the famous verse about train up a child in the way that he will go and he will not depart from it. Yeah. And, and part of that as parents is recognizing when our children are headed off the path and trying, doing our best to bring them back and put them back on that path. Again, right, this is one of those things where many Christians will quote this as a promise and all of a sudden their kids in sin and they say well not well god's word must not be true hmm. and and we'll get to that later on i don't want to <laughs> i want to dive into that that now but but here he is he's saying he's saying son sinners are going to come to you and they're going to try and entice you to do things which your mother and i have in that are exactly the opposite of what your mother and I have instructed to do. And and he just goes into this long uh long description about how he how he's going to be enticed and 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 how he should uh stay away. It's this this description of sin and one of the things that that's really deceptive about this story is how Solomon hits on this sense of belonging that people have. Hmm. Um I Every single one of us wants to belong to a group or something. Really, there are very few people who are 100% loners. We might be introverts, yeah. but 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 there it, we, we want to be able to identify with yeah. other people. And so here's Solomon telling telling him his son this story of how hey, you could be one of us. Mm. Come and do this and be one of us. We'll share in the in the glory. We'll share in the, the riches that, that come about from our actions. And, and Solomon's saying, no, stay away. And this is often one of the things you hear about that tempts people into cults, mm. into gangs, into gang activity and criminal activity, is this sense of belonging is, I really feel like I finally had a family. Yeah. And and it's very 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 deceptive. And one of the things that that Solomon says is it it's going to be great for a while. It's going to be fun for a while, but one of these days you're going to spread out your trap and the trap's going to ensnare you instead of who you intended to capture. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's that is the ultimate way that that sin works in our lives. We think that we're in this sense of it's pleasurable, it, it feels good, it's, it, it sounds good, and then the next thing we know, we're caught in that trap of sin. And we're because we didn't sense early enough that we needed to run and flee from a particular situation. Yeah, I want to piggyback off of kind of what the, that sense of belonging that you talked about, because um, I think that, you know, there will be a number of people uh, listening or watching that, you know, they may never run into the temptation to join a cult or to become part of like a, a like a, uh, a group that's doing harmful things as part of their structure, you know. But um, I think speaking specifically to like a geek crowd, um, there can be a sense of identity that we look for mm -hmm. either in a community of geeks or just in being a geek and having kind of the geek cred. Like, you know, it, I, I hear people butting heads over like what it, what a real gamer is, you know, what it means if you're, you know, yeah. I'm just like, what, what is, what is this, you know? Um, and so there can be that sense of identity, uh, even if they're not like part joining a, a formal group or something like that, they can want to identify themselves, find their sense of, of who they are 
in some kind of label that when they go down that path and start doing the things that those kinds of people are into or whatever, that's going to lead them toward, you know, again, these kind of self-destructive tendencies, which I think is, you know, for, for him to point out the self-destructive nature, you just get the sense of him pleading with his son. And I see that, you know, we, we'll see that later on too, you know, of, of him just pleading with his son, this is for your own good. These aren't just a bunch of like right. rules and, you know, things that you should follow to, you know, be a good Israelite. You know, this, these, this is like, this is for your good, my son. I don't want you to get hurt, you know. And, um, and, and I'm reminded again at the beginning of this section with verse 8, just the 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 responsibility um, that was strongly impressed on Israel for the parents to pass along wisdom to their children, you know. Mm. And I think it's really easy for us to just kind of say, well, the you know the schools are going to teach them what they need to know, or oh, the Sunday school classes, you know, will teach them what they need to know, or whatever, right. you know. And uh, and it can be easy for us to kind of disconnect and and I would also say for for the people that are listening that aren't parents don't plan on being parents that uh, there's there's still that you know communal responsibility to pass on wisdom to those that are younger than us either by age or in the faith yeah. or whatever and uh, and so this is uh, yeah this is just uh, vital stuff and and that. That, what a great model to have that pleading attitude when passing on yeah. wisdom of like you know uh, man I'm I'm seeking your good here I want I want the world for you man you know and that's one of the thing that this is this was not in my notes but one of the things that I love about the way that there's there's been like I, I could count on I could chop off half my fingers and count on one hand you know the the number of times that you've sent an email where it's like you see that there's something I'm doing that's like oh that's you're going down the wrong path you know <laughs> often so, something related to you know how I'm uh, using or not using technology or something like that you know and and the way you're so winning in the way that you present you know, like what what you're seeing is like a potential for a great course correction. Just like, man, mm. I want the world for you. And like, man, I can imagine all that could be happening um, if if you tweak this, you know, instead yeah. of someone saying, why don't you do this, Peter? You know, they're, they're yeah. just having an attitude over, you know. Yeah. And so I think that there, we just have a good model here, you know, for us in having a pleading attitude of like and wanting the best for the person that we're trying yeah. to, to bring the <laughs> truth to. Speaking of which, if you'll click on your little face up in that upper right-hand corner, yeah. it should put us side-by-side side on your screen. Oh, hey! <laughs> oh, this is cool. Okay, well, let's do this then, if you don't mind sharing the screen space. No, no, absolutely. I don't mind. Woohoo! All right. <laughs> okay, um, anything else on those, or, or should we move on to verses 20 through 33? Um, just, you know, I like how in verse 9, how he talks about, that the teaching and instruction, how it's a graceful garland and pendants on your oh. neck, it's something that enhances your appearance yeah. and your and, 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 and your beauty, right? Yeah. So someone someone who's wise, uh, people are drawn to that because it stands out, right? Oh, uh, 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 a king back then, would not wear a lot of uh, uh, fancy jewelry and things like that. There were specific things that that he would wear in order to draw attention to the fact that he's the king, right? Uh, because they didn't really have 
they didn't necessarily have crowns like like you know when we think of crowns we think of you know English kings and big yeah. giant jewel encrusted crowns and yeah. and that's not what they had and so uh, the, the 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 pendant would would draw someone's attention to them and, yeah. and I think wisdom does that for us uh, people recognize when when you're when you're walking in wisdom or you're just uh, uh, I, I'm just going to say it, talking out of your butt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've kept it as not as crude as possible, yeah, I yeah. guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, that's that's something I ran into in uh, um, some of the reading that I did as well, that like the, 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 the graceful garland and the pendants, those would have been metaf metaphors for uh, honor or attractiveness and you know um, I, I don't think that he's saying that he's uh, saying here that we should care about what people think of us and stuff like that but he's appealing I think to yes. uh, our desire to uh, to have a place of respect we all want to love and be loved you know and, uh, we, exactly. and we all want to uh, be respected you know and I think that um, specifically you know we're in the context of, of uh, a kind of a geek crowd uh, that's something that can be a little extra hard to come by I think for geeks is to, to feel like you are um, respected by people to feel like anyone is drawn to you you know socially or anything like that you know um, but there's there's a little incentive here for us as geeks to develop wisdom because you know maybe we're finding that people seem to like react to us in, in negative ways that we don't understand why and we're rubbing people the wrong way and we don't get why that's happening and everyone seems to be so sensitive or you know whatever whatever's going on there's some kind of disconnect in what we're putting out there and how people are reacting to it and I think this is a, an indication that wisdom can help us develop traits and understanding so that the reverse will start happening, so that people yeah. will begin to understand us more, appreciate us more, respect us more, and it's just going to be a better exchange. We're going to have better uh, relationships as a result. Right. There's a difference between a know-it-all and someone who is wise. Yeah. So a know-it-all is just going to spout information. Are oh, you doing it wrong? Blah, blah, you know, whatever. But someone who's wise will walk up and say, hey, I see you're struggling with that. Yeah. Can I show you a better way, a way that might work better for you or, or, yeah. or whatever? And it, it really, a lot of it has to do with presentation. Yeah. Oh, it, uh, totally. So. Totally. Yep. yep. Um, you know, I still use the levelator. Do you remember all those years ago when yes. you, you told me about the levelator? Because I was when I was mixing my audio dramas, I was like painstakingly going in because I didn't like I didn't like the the compressors and limiter options that were in my software. I would use mm -hmm. them and they did all weird things and stuff. And I am not good with technology and stuff. And and uh, you you saw one of the behind the scenes videos I was making, you know. And uh, someone else could have just so easily said, you know. You don't know what you're doing, Pater, or whatever. They could have delivered it in some, you know. And you were like, "Hey, there's this cool thing that would be that, uh, that would totally make your life easier." And when you deliver it like that, there's still a, you know, because I'm so overly sensitive, you know, and I think a lot of geeks and creative types are. There's still a little part of me that's like, "Oh crap," you know? <laughs> and you feel like an idiot. But right along with that, I'm like, "Oh, this is so cool, and I feel so loved by this person." And so, yeah, it's totally about uh, presentation. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Wisdom rocks. Let's get more wisdom. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Incoming transmission. Hi, Peter and John. Adam Collings here. I just wanted to thank you both for the new In Search of Truth segment, looking at the book of Proverbs. Having a co-host adds a whole other dimension to the show, and I think that In Search of Truth is a great place to do it, because not only can you guys play off each other, but you get two different perspectives and two lots of insight into the scriptures that you're looking at. I'm really looking forward to learning a lot from both of you. So thanks, guys, and God bless. Thank you, Adam. Uh, I really appreciate what John has been bringing to our look at Proverbs, so I'm glad to hear that you are too. I also heard from Francisco Ruiz of the Retro Rewind podcast. He wrote, Hi, Peter. First, I recently finished listening through the Spirit Blade trilogy again and brought me to tears a couple times. Man, the torturing of Merrick and Dark Ritual is still so hard to listen to, but is so important for his character. Thank you for taking it to that place, and it totally gave me a goosebumpy, righteous release when Salos... And then I'm not going to write what he wrote for those of you who uh, haven't yet listened to Spirit Blade, A World of Shadows, and the scene that he's talking about that is definitely a callback to Dark Ritual, but in a uh, different and hopefully very satisfying way for the listener. Anyway, he continues writing, I'm sure I've said it before, but I just love the trilogy. Second, really enjoyed the dynamic and thoughts you and John Wilkerson brought to the discussion of Proverbs, and very much looking forward to you both covering the rest of Proverbs. Third, thankful for all for you and all you do. Cue sappy seventh heaven music. <laughs> Godspeed, Francisco. Um, thank you very much for that, Francisco. I'm really glad that the trilogy, the Spirit Blade trilogy, is connecting with you, um, and I really appreciate you telling me that. I uh, that kind of encouragement helps drive me forward to do more audio production work. So um, very much appreciated. Uh, I'm glad you're enjoying what John is bringing to Proverbs. Uh, to the Proverbs study also. Uh, that's been really cool for me uh, too and, and a real blessing to share that load with uh, with all that I've got going on in the next two to three months with Patreon and blah, 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 blah. So thank you, John Wilkerson, for that. Um, and thank you again, Francisco, for your encouragement and feedback. Speaking of which, guys, give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing. What should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? I've got one of those. We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but I've got to hear from you to do that. You can send me an email or audio file recorded on your phone to P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com. And as a reminder, once again, guys, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you if I can. Uh, online resources and communities are a good supplement, but by nature they cannot speak to your particular situation like relationships in a local church can. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a local church. So whether you're in a church that lacks Bible-based intentionality or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. Uh, you can email me at P-A-E-T-E-R at spiritblade.com and we can try to look at some websites of churches in your area together. Um, all right, I'm, man, my, I'm, my mouth is getting dry and so I'm, you, you guys are getting more of that all those nasty... Oh, let me get a drink here. <laughs> All those nasty mouth noises. <laughs> anyway, can I just say, in an admittedly very biased way, how cool I think this podcast is? And when I say that, I'm not thinking about the content that I create for it. Last week, we had 
an audiobook review by Katya from the Netherlands. John Wilkerson was on helping me start out our study in Proverbs. A YouTube viewer provided a springboard to talk about the difficult but important subject of homosexuality and transgender issues. And as always, Matt and Kim of POSTOS gave us their perspective on Deep Space Nine after the credits. There are not many shows where a significant amount of the content is created by the community surrounding it. You guys make this thing what it is, this cool, unique animal. Um, and cool and unique, you know, especially in the world of Christian podcasting. I, I, I don't know uh, of, of another podcast like this one. So this show is what it is because you guys in the Christian Geek Central community make it what it is. So thank you so much for the questions that you send in, the segments that you submit, um, all that stuff. This It, it just makes this animal... Um, really cool to me to put together every week so thank you very much for that stay tuned for DS9 Shwarma after the credits or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning as a reminder you can find episodes 0 through 500 of this podcast archived as the Spirit Blade Underground podcast at spiritblade.com next week if God allows it Katya from the Netherlands will be back with another audiobook review and I'll be sharing some more cool entertainment options as we continue celebrating the summer of free uh, till then, please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions by purchasing an audio drama, leaving a donation, or becoming a Spirit Blade Insider. You can get more information from our About page at spiritblade.com. Thank you so much for making time for this show uh, this week. I, I hope you have a great week, and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth. The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. The Dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumbled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bejor or Deep Space Nine, and now... All our hopes rest here. And that was Business as Usual, a Ferengi episode which actually was not business as usual for a change. Yeah. Um, for once, the Ferengi weren't just scampering idiots who it was actually looking at some economic issues and moral issues related to it. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good episode. Uh, basically, Cork begins the episode swimming in debt. Remember that uh, a while back, he got uh, blacklisted among his own people, so he can't do business with Ferengi. Uh, the Federation doesn't do business at all, it seems, and although they never truly consist on that. Uh, so he's very, he has limited ventures, so he basically has been drowning in debt, and his cousin, if you remember, the one who tried to kill him all the way back when they went back in time to be the Roswell aliens, it was because his cousin had put a bomb on his ship, had sabotaged it, in a very stupid and expensive way to kill him. And he comes in, and he... he <coughs> We've talked about him before, Cousin Gala, and he's a weapons dealer. So he invites Cork to join in on his business, and it turns out he wants to use Cork to use his hollow sweets 
so they can sell even illegal weapons right in front of everyone because you're not actually selling the weapons on the station. You're only you're only showing the weapons to people, and then you do yeah, the you deals. You have a holographic showroom, and the actual deal is done in elsewhere. international waters, yeah, off Federation space. And so you know it's skirting the law technically, and only on a technicality. And so it's Quark coming to terms with he's doing this and what he does to finally decide to stop doing it. What's interesting, the good part is that this is full of good character stuff, especially for Quark. Is that you can understand why he does this. Usually this kind of story, we'd, we would like know right away he shouldn't do this. This is bad. And I don't know, maybe the episode is supposed to be thinking that. Because the downside of this episode, the weak point... Is you can come up with lots of reasons why Quark is wrong for doing this. That there's a lot of collateral damage, that you're profiting off the misery, you're extending wars, all these things. But the the Federation people, as they get more and more angry at Quark, and they refuse to socialize with him and everything, they never say what it is other than you're profiting off death. And it's, you know, I'm think Kim and I were talking about this, and I think this is coming from. Star Trek is almost universally written by left-wing people, and I think it's just that general prevalent thinking that weapons are only for people of the state, cops, soldiers, etc., and that regular people, they, a, a good citizen has no need for a weapon, so therefore... Only if you want to start some stuff do you need Yeah, o- only bad people even want weapons, which, you know, that's asinine. There's lots of legitimate reasons to want weapons. Um... And like I say, it's not that, especially because we find out first off that the the guy Cork's working for, there's a human who's uh, that even cousin Gala works for, and he is willing to, he will murder people when they cross him. So by no means is he like just some sort of a businessman. He's a monster. He's evil. But the problem is again, they all they need to do is actually say what the problem is, but they don't. They act like it's a given. And it's not automatically given. Selling weapons is not inherently evil. Yeah, everybody starts treating Cork like he's a drug dealer. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. And if they if they'd say, you know, I I can't I can't respect you, Cork, because you're selling weapons and you know your profit. There's lots of reasons to do it. They just don't say what they are. They act like it's a, a standard thing. And like you know what you did. Yeah. yeah. And while I can figure it out, I'll bet a lot of people wouldn't necessarily put the thought into thinking, why are they so mad at him? Now, granted, later in the episode, we do see that Haggith, the the head businessman, is very willing to sell really messed up... Terrorist weapons. I mean, it's like, well, the guy guy who's buying weapons says, I want 24 million civilians dead. Yeah, they're basically casually discussing... Destroying the whole city with horrible bioterrorism weapons over dinner. Yeah. And, and that's oh, well, this will give you 24. That might give you more like 30. Yeah. Four times the size of the Holocaust is what he's looking for. Yeah. So, yeah, it, there's no there's no trying to justify that. It's just that they, as far as what the Federation sees, all they see is a guy who's working in a career that they don't approve of. And that doesn't seem enough considering, especially Jadzia gets very judgmental and haughty on him. That's Jadzia. And Jadzia, she's always the one who's been on the most outside of the Federation and willing to make friends with, you know, scurrilous people and all that, including Quark. And so, again, there is a reason to be haughty and judgmental, but they don't say what those reasons are, so they just kind of leave it for us to figure it out. And it kind of feels, 
It doesn't feel so much like it's about an agenda so much as the agenda is what made you do this, if you, if you follow the difference. Well, and we were talking about earlier that um, one of the reasons why Corp does not get roughed up by Odo for what he's doing, because, you know, Odo is not a man who is too terribly constrained by the letter of the law. He would have found a way to nail yeah. Corp, except that Major Kira comes in and says, you can't touch him because Haggett sold arms to the Bajoran militia, and they don't want his associates interfered with. It's a Bajoran political matter. And, yeah, and like Kim had pointed out, it doesn't seem like the Bajorans are really quick to, you know, shake Cork's hand, and you know, even though he's doing business now with a guy who helped make sure that Bajor was able to fight off the Cardassians. And no one even addresses the, the blurriness this might do, that these people were fighting... They were using bombs and guns and all these things, well, and they had to get them from somewhere. And it seems like, because in the scene afterwards where they're all talking together, it seems like Haggith didn't even make that much profit off the Bajorans. He knew that he was going to make a friend for the future. Yeah, he was currying business contacts. Yeah. He, and he, it, maybe, it paid off because now he has this profitable joint venture that's completely legal where he can sell all sorts of illegal things. He was networking back yeah. when he sold arms to the Bajoran resistance. So you would think that the Bajorans would regard him as a heroic figure. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's mostly, it's it's like Voyager. It's lost opportunity to do more with it. But don't, that's, that's not to say... It a, still does well. I like this episode a lot. so much more. Yeah. And I think a big part of the success of this episode, in my opinion, is the guy playing Haggith. If you've seen Beverly Hills Cop, do you remember the... The slightly effeminate, raspy-voiced, uh, possibly gay guy who was in charge of... He was the main villain. And he's like... He's very kind of fey and foppish, but not like in a dandy way. But at the same time, he's very refined and elegant. But yet there's that edge to him. And when he lets out... He, he kind of reminds me of Voldemort from Harry Potter. Where it's like, in general, he's like this very gentlemanly guy. But occasionally you see that deep down, there's a brutal, there's a brutal killer in there. And that's what this guy, and he, this guy plays the same kind of part as he did on Beverly Hills Cop, and it's got the same thing where he's kind of effeminate, you know. He's, he's, he's very kind of touchy with his associates. Yeah. He, he's friendly with them. He's like, oh, let me shower you with gifts. Yeah, he let lavishes. Me, let me tell you real. how great you are, but you cross him. You do the slightest thing that peeves him off. He goes zero to 60, bad guy. Yeah, and he is he is actually really effectively scary in a way that you don't usually see. Usually you think of like Klingons, they'll just come in and scream at you and pound their chests. And but this and or he's or he's not like the hollow serial killer guy who just never emotes and just he's not like that either. It's 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 a very different thing because he's very emotional and very intense and purposeful. And I I can't think of anyone else who I would really say has done quite this kind of. Voldemort's probably one you know of the closest I can think of. To, it's similar to uh, the White Witch in Narnia. It's the whole uncertainty yeah. is what's scary. Person. Yeah, there's some. Yeah, the Narnia movie. You never quite know where you stand with him. At any moment, he might turn on a dime and devour. Him. Yeah, imagine if the White Witch was act- more was more actually likable instead of just always putting up. Because the White Witch wasn't truly likable once you saw what she was really like. Haggith can be likable as long as you're on his side. And so, I mean, and there's some good character stuff. There's also a moment, the subplot, it's not bad, but it's just very, meh, it's, it's sitcom-y. It's, yeah, it's cliche riddled. O'Brien's new son, uh, who's a baby, he's only a few months old, uh, he is always crying. And he, he, his da- he, when his dad holds him, 
he he doesn't cry. Keiko and and uh, Molly are off planet, and so he's got to carry on his son because no babysitter can keep him from crying. Because the very second he puts him down, he starts. Yeah, it's let's, but and you know most of it's just like the wacky. Oh, you know you can't. There's two parts. One is he takes it takes the baby up to the bridge of the station ops, and says, "Oh, something about the engines and all the sound here puts him to sleep." And, you know, that was like a cliche thing, but the funny thing is, and anyone who's brought a baby to work knows what this is, all the people around there are just like gathering bit by bit, and they're just waving at the baby, even though he's sleeping and all this stuff. And I have seen people bring babies into work, and if you've seen it, you know that's exactly what happens. And it's just like, oh, there's a baby, we must congregate around the baby. Which is just amusing. But the, the best part of that was at the very end, Worf comes in, and we haven't seen him all episode, and he's talking with O'Brien. And, of course, the baby's fine with Worf, and it helps him get past his issues. So O'Brien's able to put him down, and then he can finally sleep. But that's, you know, the typical cliche sitcom stuff. But the touching thing is Worf talks about how I never saw my own son when he was this age. Which is true, because when Worf first saw Alexander in The Next Generation, first he's found out he existed. Like five-ish. Well, he was played by about a five-year-old or so, but the character was probably about two, but Klingon boys seem to age at very yeah, odd they, rates. They, they've got the weird alien aging yeah. going on with them. But still, he never saw him as an infant. Yeah. And it's like, there, there's an actual tragic, you know, wistfulness to that that's actually very moving. Mm-hmm. Michael Dorn really sells it. And well, he, you see that they, they get a little bit of a dad bond going yeah. on there. Yeah. Besides that, they're old friends with the Enterprise. But yeah, the episode itself is a is a good episode. It's certainly what I'd call one of the better episodes. It did make my top ten, but it was certainly in my top twenty, considering going into there. Um, not much more to say because I don't want to give away how it ends. But if you want, it's a it's mostly about character. There's no consequences from this that ever last. If that you, you can want be on some here. Ferengi that is genuinely not entertaining odious. and doesn't make you want to bang your head on a wall. Try business as usual. Yeah, and Quark's, actually, Cork's cousin is one difference. Is we will see Cork's cousin again in another good Ferengi episode next season. Um, so there is that consequence in that. Here we're introduced to him, and then we'll see him again. Um, but even then, they describe what happened before, so you don't need to yeah. see this episode. But I do recommend you check it out. We'll see you next time when we get to know another consequence of a past episode with Kira and her Cardassian father, if you remember him. We'll see you then.